right, let's turn to Psalm 127. It's been fun doing these introductory readings throughout Kings or Samuel uh, for Solomon. Psalm 127, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for uh, bringing us along with Solomon on this journey. Thank you, Lord, that it is instructive for how we can avoid similar pitfalls in our life. But, uh, you know, there's no sin that's not common to man. So we're under no illusions that these are the battles we must fight. So help us in that, Lord, and and we pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken us uh, to serve you, to rejoice in you, to... uh, Fear you and remember your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a couple weeks ago, that's the end of Ecclesiastes. One of the commentators I'd read, David Gibson, said it was that strangest of Old Testament books. Uh, Perhaps it's a little less strange now. I, I can certainly testify to that. Craig Bartholomew, Ecclesiastes takes the reader on a roller coaster ride. So hopefully the whiplash will go away soon. Uh, This is just going to be a time for you guys to talk. It's going to be a pretty short class if you don't talk. Um, Favorite verses, insights along the way. Um, But I wanted to start with the books that I used. If you're interested in any one of them, just tell you the strengths of some of them, maybe the weaknesses of some of them. The first one was the uh, Ecclesiastes by Michael Eaton, E-A-T-O-N. Um, he, he handled the Hebrew very well. Um, as you can see, it's a fairly short book, so he's very concise and hammers on some of the uh, translation issues. Um, Dan, thank you again. Uh, an exposition of Ecclesiastes by Charles Bridges. Um, this is going to be certainly more of... This was written in mid-1800s, I believe. Uh, more of your traditional understanding, like Matthew Henry, of the book of Ecclesiastes. If some of the older stuff has a fault, I would have to say, and perhaps I'll mention that again later, maybe too quick to take every verse that leaves you looking sideways at, at, at Solomon. Um, so, you know, stepping back and saying, well, this is, this is what it means. He's not saying something unorthodox. But I, I think in this journey, Solomon certainly was saying many un- unorthodox and untrue things in the book. But reading the thing as a journey, you see him progress along until chapters 11 and 12, where um, 
there, there's a repentance. There's a remembering of the Creator. Um, the I've referred to it as a commentary. It doesn't go through verse by verse, but David Gibson's book, Living Life Backward, um, the idea of letting death be a teacher, working from what you know is coming, um, and letting it affect how you live. Um, it's also full of helpful questions at the end of each chapter, about five or six questions to, to pause for reflection. Some of those questions came at you um, unknow- unknowingly to this point uh, during, the, uh, during the study. Uh, boy, it's a really good popular treatment of the book. Um, very grateful for that one. Um, apart from Michael Eaton and his handling of the Hebrew um, this one I, I told you guys I, had, I was reading it as I went unlike the other ones that I had read previously um, this is Craig Bartholomew Ecclesiastes the Baker commentary uh, specifically on the Old Testament wisdom and Psalms but this book strictly on Ecclesiastes um, Bartholomew was very good with the Hebrew. I liked his idea of uh, verse 1 2. Enigmatic, utterly enigmatic. Everything is enigmatic. The idea of mystery uh, that's just going to happen to us as creatures in the created world. We are not the creator, and there will be mystery indeed. Um, however, You'll remember um, in the introductory classes, uh, I said that, frankly, most of the modern commentators, apparently you can't write a book nowadays without um, kowtowing to the, uh, the new way, of, I guess, of looking at Ecclesiastes, that maybe it wasn't written around 1000 AD during the time of Solomon by Solomon, but uh, people project, oh, it's a couple few hundred years BC, um, and, and Bartholomew is one of those. I, I loved what he did throughout the commentary, but um, that was a weakness that showed up later on. So uh, when you mess with orthodoxy, it can have its consequences. Um, now, I know I just spoke a little bit down about uh, Charles Bridges uh, and his traditional take on we have to orthodoxize everything that Solomon is saying. Um, but I, you know, Craig Bartholomew there in chapter 12, remember dealing with the, uh, the house that's falling down, the, the, uh, the window shut, blindness coming to the elderly, the elderly being um, afraid of heights or falling, that kind of thing. The imagery there in the poem in chapter 12. Uh, he didn't just take that as an image of a person decaying because of sin, dying, slowly dying, and then actually dying. Uh, he took it as a picture of the end times and the coming judgment. I mean, he's right to see judgment in chapter 12, uh, 12, 13, um, or 12, 14, uh, that there will be a judgment. Um, But I'm reading along his take on chapter 12 and this poem on old age and and approaching death. And he starts citing to the Old Testament prophets. You can see the same imagery in the Old Testament prophets that the writer, Kohelet, 
would have had access to. And I started to think about it, and I'm like, okay, this is before the exile, before the prophets. And I was, okay, I get it, right? You don't think it was written by Solomon. So you think that the uh, writer of Ecclesiastes was, was influenced by the Old Testament prophets in the end times uh, eschatology. Um, another thing that he dealt with favorably was the Carpe, Di- Carpe Diem verses, uh, seven passages throughout Ecclesiastes that we are to indeed seize the day in the sense of embracing the good gifts that God has given us, uh, food, drink, the wife of your youth, that kind of thing. Um, a lot of the modern commentators attack those Carpe Diem verses in a negative sense uh, because they're just a reflection of the Greek influence of uh, hedonism, uh, Epicureanism. But again, that was six, seven hundred, eight hundred years later, right? So um, he he uh, he treated the uh, Bartholomew treated the Carpe Diem verses favorably, but he because of taking the position of a later writing, he felt the need to, that he had to, to defend that, which was unnecessary because it was not a later writing. Um, but hey, it was, I really appreciated how he helped me to logically walk through the book as a whole. Um, hey, I think this one... No, he didn't stand. Oh, yeah, I did. The Library of Ray Mason. Um, he let me come out one time and read his library. Um, Derek Kidner, The Wisdom of Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes was very helpful. Now, I'll get into the books at the bottom there. Those are four I did not read that I have my eye on. Um, you'll see The Message of Ecclesiastes, also by Kidner. And that's his really big book, uh, popular treatment on um, the book of Ecclesiastes. I did not read that one, but I went with this one here. Um, I love, I've got to say, I love the quote. Um, Nothing is meaningless. God assesses it and no one is forgotten. It's not actually that nothing matters under the sun, but that everything matters, for God will bring every deed into judgment. I thought that was wonderful. Uh, the Pundit's Folly by Sinclair Ferguson is a small book that I used. And uh, very grateful for this. My father-in-law, Pat, had uh, when he heard I was doing this, he ordered this book for me, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World by Russell Meek. Um, he hammered hard on Genesis in Ecclesiastes and had those convenient tables that I could line up Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 6 next to, to Genesis 2, 2 and Genesis 2, 8 through 10. Repeated terms, remember like the garden and the royal experiment in chapter 2 where Solomon is basically being his own creator uh, Planting, making gardens, trees of every kind of fruit, made to water. Um, so he had a number of those helpful tables. That kind of stuff is mentioned in the Bartholomew and uh, commentary and dwelt on quite a bit. But it was really nice to have it all in the table format. Um, so the other four at the bottom there, I you know, saw on Amazon at some point. I love the titles, um, Why Everything Matters. Again, that's the quote 
roughly from Kidner I just read you, everything matters. It's not vanity of vanities. Um, Solomon meant it. it. It was very unorthodox. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He certainly meant that, but he grew out of that to what rejoice and remember. So I like that, Why Everything Matters, the Gospel in Ecclesiastes by Philip Ryken. Again, the message of Ecclesiastes is, is a great one I hear by Kidner. Um, here's Genesis, Recovering Eden, <coughs> the Gospel According to Ecclesiastes by Zach Esmine. And um, when I began preparing the study, I saw this phrase, the Philippians of the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes, the Philippians of the Old Testament. And I love Philippians. I always have. Um, so that phrase always stuck with me. I even told John Sharp, yeah, you know, apparently it's called the Philippians of the Old Testament. I just thought that was a thing. Well, it wasn't. It was just the book title. <laughs> but um, that's by William Barrick. Uh, I haven't read the book, but I have some ideas in mind, and maybe you do as well, and where he's going with calling his book uh, The Philippians of the Old Testament. In fact, I'll probably mention that in a bit. So, um, again, uh, please participate. Uh, what is your view now of the book of Ecclesiastes? And has it altered now that you've reached the end of the book? I'll give you a moment. Yes, I got to say, around about chapter 8 or 9, I was, I mean, I read through it, obviously, but I still wasn't quite sure where, where we were going to wind up here, and, and 11 and 12 just really brought it together. Uh, yeah, the idea of, of living life backward, having a perspective of, I mean, hey, God's told us, he's revealed in his word what's going to happen, we're under the curse and we're going to die, um, so how should that affect how we live now? Anyone else? Uh, you know, maybe went into it. Uh, you know, not many, not many hands went up about. Yeah, I think it's a positive book. You know, at the beginning, um, had, has anyone had their view changed in that respect, one way or the other? Well, keep thinking. I, I probably said this in the beginning chapters that I, I usually assumed Solomon's negativity at times was just him maybe playing, forgive me, but devil's advocate. Um, kind of setting up 
the arguments about this world he's living in, and it seems so frustrating, but um, you know, it was just for the point of knocking them down. Uh, certainly, they are knocked down by the end of, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I don't know if he wrote this book over time, <clears throat> in the sense of uh, you know writing it as he went through his life or 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 what, but. You know, I, I had to eventually admit to myself, no, this is true frustration on his part. Uh, and so, you know, like we said at the beginning, it is a journey. It is Solomon's journey. Uh, he, had, he had fully, fully embraced sin. And you see that in that royal experiment in chapter 2. Uh, looking for, for meaning in an upside-down world. Uh, so he needed to come to a place of, of repentance and obedience in place of sin. Joy in place of frustration and despair, and remembering his own nature as a creature rather uh, rather than as the creator, which he most certainly was not, having to realize that point that God is the creator. Anybody else have any thoughts about where you maybe started and what you think now? Go ahead. Well, for me, I mean, I, I only uh, my first week coming here was the last. So I was familiar with a lot of, like you mentioned, the Carpe Diem kind of verses. I was more familiar with those, and I think I tried to read through it before, but I, I didn't remember the end being so poignant. Mm. So it was cool to like come in, and then that be the first thing to think about in the book. And I was like, oh, that's the full image, because I always think about the, you know, you know, take joy in you know, eating and drinking and stuff. But it was cool to see that, so like, that was the final conclusion. Right, right. So so like Olivia just suggested, you you read the last chapter first. Okay, I see. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yes, Dan? I like what you mentioned earlier uh, about it being Solomon's uh, repentance uh, throughout the book, where you see his progression all the way through the end, and you really kind of have to take it in whole and not little individual Verses, but take the whole concept. Uh, and the other thing that I found really fascinating was uh, the parallels with Genesis that carry on, at least the first five or six chapters of Genesis that carry on uh, throughout the book. Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm sure it's the same way. It seems like every day is Ecclesiastes in a nutshell for me. I wake up. And there's this thing looming, this trial that's coming, or, boy, the surprises. Um, you know, wasn't there a lot of surprise in Ecclesiastes? Like, what, why is there oppression or injustice in the seat of justice? You know, th- things that Solomon was frustrated with and didn't expect to see. Um, it seems like, I don't know, I'm just having this thought now, I, that every day is its own Ecclesiastes for us. Will we, will we treat it as, as vain, as, as a mystery that tears us down and pulls at us and pulls us from all directions? Uh, or will we try to get to chapter 11 and 12 as quickly as possible uh, to see, well, here's this, I see my temptation in this test to, uh, I'm afraid I may stumble, Lord. Help me through your Holy Spirit to stand and face this trial. 
And then there's the skin knees that come along. And while I just keep praying, just keep praying. Well, the same kind of thing we've talked about. Was it useful to see other Bible books or material from other books at play? And and how so? Dan, you've already mentioned Genesis. Did anybody else want to talk about Genesis and uh, and what they saw there and how it might have helped? Yeah, I... uh, I think the emphasis, first and foremost, as the book ends, remember your creator, uh, is is how it starts in Genesis. Remember your creator. That's why it was put in print. That's why why Moses brought it to us. As opposed to Solomon trying to be his own creator. And remember, most importantly from Genesis, it was good. The creation was pronounced good, very good. and so in, in Ecclesiastes 7.29, he made man upright in the beginning. So God cannot be blamed for man's perversity in seeking out many schemes. Remember, he, he was made upright, but he has sought out many schemes. Uh, it was really something, and that was only like a footnote in, um, in the uh, Bartholomew book. But Russell Meek of the Genesis tables, he, he really hit hard on the idea of Abel, uh, whose name was Hebel, uh, there in the Hebrew, that man is a breath or a vapor uh, due to the curse on the earth, those kinks and those gaps in Ecclesiastes one fifteen, so that there's vanity and enigma. And so Ab- Abel lives righteously, and he gets death. And Cain lives unrighteously, and he prospers. And that was, that was a huge frustration for Solomon. Uh, 115, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking, the kinks and the gaps, cannot be numbered. And we saw how wisdom even is limited in the hands of the, uh, in the, hands of the creatures. Even with wise, godly wisdom, we cannot assume that we will work out a certain kink in creation. God remains the creator, and we, we remain the creature. Um, any, any other books that you thought about while going through Ecclesiastes? Okay, uh, the book of Job, and you were reading it at the time. In, in what ways did you find it helpful or see it playing in? Um, basically, you know, Job's argument with God at mm. the end and the need for an intercessor. Great, great, terrific. His, his argument with God at the end and, and the need for an intercessor on his behalf. Uh, anybody else on Job? Yeah, you know, uh, wisdom literature, it's designed to help the man and the woman how to live in the world rightly. 
um, very much that that debate there with God that was very one-sided as it should always be um, Job on a journey and much pride involved uh, with, with both of these men uh, any other books of the Bible? So Vinny was going through Proverbs, uh, or just had um, the the idea of again, you know, written by Solomon, of course, um, and also wisdom literature. Uh, we definitely saw not as many Proverbs. I mean, Proverbs is literally chock full, um, you know, especially after those first eight or nine chapters or so. Um, and, and you had some of those similar type Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Hard part for me was always. Is this an, an orthodox take on a proverb, or is this more of his vanity and enigma, his frustrations? Um, let's see. Anyone else on proverbs? I'd love to hear the connection of Philippians. Right. Um, Ecclesiastes, the Philippians of the Old Testament by William Barrett. I haven't read that book. But in a moment, yeah, I will. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts about how Philippians could play in? No, I, I, I mean, obviously, it didn't play in historically, but yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see. So, 12, 13, and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Fear God and keep his commandments. Does that send you anywhere in the Bible? Sure. Uh, The Ten Commandments kind of thing, giving of the law, Deuteronomy. Um, And everywhere after that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Quite a few of the commentators, especially Bartholomew, hammered on 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 the law. A lot of a lot of commentators actually, apparently, I, I remember him saying, uh, kind of they don't find a lot of law in Ecclesiastes. Um, maybe they find the find lawlessness and its effects, um, but there it is: fear God and keep His commandments. Uh, any particularly favorite verse then when we started or now uh, a verse that you were perplexed by I mentioned a few as we went along for me um, that you wanted to maybe read and read aloud and just talk briefly about what it means to you or, or how it maybe changed your opinion All right, how about, and you can come at me if you find one. Uh, questions about Ecclesiastes uh, as you went into the study and 
that you perhaps found an answer to or a different insight to than uh, I like David Gibson he says in one of his questions there at the end of the end of a chapter and do you approach the Bible expecting to be surprised so was there a, a difficulty or a uh, that was kind of cleared up for you as we went through the study? Yes. Okay. What did you have? I used to, before this study, I would tend to get really caught up in the despair and not be able to take a step back and look at it more logically. So after this study, I've been able to see all that despair and his failures and what he was really looking for and what he got was more of laying the groundwork for chapter 12 where he focuses in the right direction and I have not had been not able to not be so involved in it you know to look at it from outside I wish I could remember I was going to go back and listen to some of the answers people gave in those first two but I distinctly remember you feeling I forget the word exactly but uh, discouraging perhaps so um Michael was just saying that uh, in reading it before, she'd been so caught up, almost overwhelmed with the despair that runs throughout. And now she's able to step back and think of it as kind of setting up for the denouement in chapters 11 and 12. All right. Anybody else? Yes. This is just an observation, probably, answering your questions, but it seems like... God gave Solomon wisdom, wisest man in the world, and that was known far and wide. So think of all the people that came to him with their most difficult problems, not just little problems, but really the most difficult ones. So if he faced that all his life, all everyone from everywhere, problems, but in the end, what is it? that stands out after he's listened to everybody's woes mm. what in the end stands out fear God yeah. you know so I think that's encouraging for us I mean it's kind of like what everyone's been saying is you go through the ups and downs but in the end it's fear God yes uh, you know Gaylene, uh, wine she likes where we wind up you know, we wind up at the end with fearing God and keeping his commandments. Um, I remember Bill Hobbs always said, it's really important how you end. Um, now, that doesn't mean, uh, you know, you... Oh, the last thing I did was sin without repenting, so I'm in trouble. <laughs> Nothing like that, but... Um, yeah, that's uh, helpful. Well... As an insight in it, on, on a point, in, in a way, in chapter 3, in the middle of verse 11, also he has put eternity in the man's heart. And that reminds me that we all have a sense, and it's why death is, we're so resistant to it, because there is a sense deep in us that we were created for eternity. And even the atheist who says this is it, or the uh, existentialist, this is it, buried in there is a sense of eternity because it's wired into us because we were created for eternity. 
-hmm. I know that has nothing really to do directly with what he's doing in Ecclesiastes, but that little section of that verse jumps out at me because of that right. prior for eternity. Uh, 311, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Uh, Dave, David was particularly struck by he has put eternity in their hearts. And, uh, boy, uh, you think of Romans, everyone is without excuse. You know, eternity is in everyone's hearts. Um Anybody else? Well, the best questions that you get answers to are ones you didn't even know you needed to ask. Um, For me, I wasn't seeking an answer to this. I've always been frustrated, and this is getting to perhaps, I would imagine, if not the main point, um, one of the main points of Ecclesiastes, the Philippians of the Old Testament, has to be this. Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And of course he goes on uh, to talk about contentment as well. Um, In one of the uh, sermons in a worship service in the last year, I I actually referred aloud to myself as having somewhat of a melancholy disposition, you may remember. Um, and if you didn't hear that, that's probably not shocking um, to hear. Um, I've always read, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and have been frustrated in it. Like, How? How do I, I see? I see. I see how contentment works in. I see how that's important. That could help us to to rejoice in in any circumstance. Um, but the thing that really captured my imagination was this idea as joy as a commandment. And there it is: rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Um, Really just the idea that to not rejoice, a failure to rejoice in God's good gifts is sin. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I'm failing to rejoice in this frowning providence that God has brought my way. I've always understood, well, clearly that's sinful. I'm, I'm unhappy in this difficult circumstance. Uh, and being discontent like that is clearly a sin. I get that. But this concept of being commanded to rejoice and not doing so as being a sin, really, um, I still don't know, guys, the how, the how quite to get there. Um, Other than, like we said earlier, to keep praying, to keep uh, asking for the help of the Holy Spirit, to keep practicing rejoicing. Um, But boy we're not only allowed to rejoice in the good gifts God brings, but we are commanded to do so. So let's get busy with the rejoicing. I liked what David Gibson said. The 
nihilist would say, eat, drink, and be merry, because that's all there is. Solomon says, eat, drink, and be merry, because that's what there is. And I'm struck uh, in also in uh, Philippians by the idea of, uh, what is it, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request be made known to God. Um, I think I've been guilty a lot of times of leaving out with thanksgiving. You know, um, I think we had more thanksgiving, so rejoice, uh, um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving is what it reads. Let your request be made known to God. So um, thankfulness. And we might as well practice being thankful in the good things God gives us and voice those aloud and voice those aloud to people around us as a testimony. Um, I think we spend more time being thankful aloud to God and rejoicing in the good gifts he gives us as a, as a taste of heaven, as a reflection back to Eden, recovering Eden. Um, maybe we get more practice in being joyful and thankful in the easy things, the wonderful things he gives us. Maybe it would help us in the hard things as well that come our way. Well, uh, you know, I think somewhere balanced in there is the command of weep with those who weep. So there are times in frowning providences that bring us great sadness, although God carries us. And there is all the provision he's given us that we rejoice in, but there are things that bring great sadness and providence. I'm glad you said that. On the other side of the coin, we have been commanded to weep with those who weep. Um, so it's a matter of, of the heart, of course, and, and being being on our guard I let's see what was it that's Psalm 127 I've always liked the image in the Old Testament of the watchman he says unless the Lord guards the city the watchman stays awake in vain I've always been struck about Jesus coming upon them uh, his followers Awake! Why are you sleeping? You know, so uh, the guardman, uh, the guard must must watch. Um, somewhere in the Old Testament, it says, uh, "A man without self-control is like a city broken down without walls." So uh, that's I think that's why I've always been drawn to Nehemiah and the and the building of the wall, rebuilding of the wall. It's important to be on our guard at all times because we don't know. We are not the creator, and we don't know what um, smiling or frowning providence is coming today. But let's fight the battle of Ecclesiastes. Okay? Surprise, we're going to sin. It's what we do from there. I don't think is the opposite of rejoicing. Right. You know, I mean, it's when when you talk about being able to live rejoicing. That to me, the opposite of that is going around saying, "Oh, what was me? 
my life is horrible. I, you know, there's nothing to smile about. It's just everything is depressing. To, that to me is an op, more of an opposite right. of rejoicing. So I do think it, it, it's helpful to think of it that way when you're trying to balance this idea of rejoicing and everything, you know, give thanksgiving and being able to weep right. when, when things are hard. Right, as, as the situation calls for it, how are we living? Um, you know, I, I talked about when we were on oppression, uh, you know, what, what do you do? When, when is the time to fight? And certainly I believe that that time is to fight for a neighbor, uh, but not necessarily for ourselves when injustice is wrought upon us alone. Uh, so it's always a matter of look at the circumstance and, and assess it. Uh, through the Word and through the through the Holy Spirit, just privately, you may want to consider. Uh, I'll read Second Corinthians twelve. Seven through ten. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So just uh, another question from David Gibson's book, just to consider privately. What are some things you could actively seek to enjoy and relish today and tomorrow? Or what thorn in your flesh could you thank God for today? Another thing um, I thought was just wonderful was the, um, they say it's the poem in chapter three that could be read at a secular funeral or a Christian funeral. Um, You know, it's a time and a season. Um, They they like, the unbeliever likes to co-opt that one for all the wrong reasons. You're the creature moving within God's plan, and He's made He's made both the smiling and, and frowning providences. Uh, I think the the idea of the times and seasons poem in chapter three reminds us that God is the Creator, but He's still involved with His creation. In fact, it's His, isn't it? Uh, it is he is the owner of it, uh, and because of that, there is a time for justice as well. Um, 
Perhaps that would stop us from the edge of wanting to grab and be in control. Uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Uh, I like this from Bartholomew. Remembering one's creator does not detract from the paradoxes of life, but reorients one toward them in a fresh way to allow their minds and lives to be shaped by remembrance of the creator. Remembrance means consciously allowing the great acts of God to shape one's perspective in the present. So I would just leave you with more questions from Gibson. Are you preparing for judgment? What changes will you make to your life in the light of Ecclesiastes? And is your future shaping your present? If you had just something eating you up to say, we could take another minute or two. Or we can just pray. Can we go back to something? Yes. Something that you said, I don't know if this is something that, or not, but it strikes me that when a Christian brother or sister is experiencing whatever it is that causes them deep grief. That weeping with them is actually an act of love in acknowledging what they're experiencing rather than throwing a verse at them that says, oh, be of good cheer, you know. So I think it's, it's, you know, as long as you don't just leave it there and wallow in it, but I think that's an act of Christian love to acknowledge what they're experiencing and an act of Christian love. The, the word actively was coming to my mind that uh, this idea of weeping with those who weep um, rather than offering a verse or a platitude or I'll pray for you um, to actively weep and take on their burden as your own. Um, Knowing yeah. that God does not abandon us to friendly providences. He's, just, he's with us as much as he is in a smiling providence. We just like those better, obviously. But he will move through it with us and not abandon us to it. And there is a reason to praise him for that. Um, Moving us through frowning providences, of course, with the eye to discipline and and teaching us uh, how to stand in the midst of the trial. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you again for your Holy Spirit that opens the word to us. We thank you for saints, Christians of old, who who left us such wonderful uh, news. Um, Lord, we pray that you would always help us to be walking prudently when we go into worship upstairs. We pray that, uh, Lord, we would be there as the creature and not as the creator, that we would eagerly look forward and expect the truth from Scripture. Lord, help us in our own Ecclesiastes day by day to, uh, to live aright and to come alongside our neighbor and to give you rightful praise. Thank you for creating us. Um, thank you for making the world crooked. Um, thank you, Lord, for... Uh, your promise that that you will make it straight 
and you will fill in the gaps and the things that are lacking. Until then, help us to stand firm and rejoice in your love and to be thankful in everything that we see. In Jesus' name, amen.